there's a classic icebreaker question. If you could be any superhero in the world, who would you be? I mean, worldwide, superheroes are big business. We spend billions to show up and watch their movies. We're, we're enamored by this idea that a bug could bite us or we might be dipped in radioactive sludge and somehow awaken with an internal power that goes beyond our humanity. Being infused and resourced by such a power, well, well, that would change everything for us. I mean, we would have to start wearing spandex suits and masks. Of course, it is 2020, and for a lot of people, that's your daily uniform, isn't it? What is it about superheroes that we love? And what super things would you choose? If, if honestly, if you could be infused with power beyond your humanity. You know, interestingly, the, the Bible talks about this subject. And today, being infused with, with power, that's what we're going to talk about. Last week, we started our Ephesians series, and we saw that Ephesians 1 focuses on two words, in Jesus, and how that if you are in Jesus, spiritually, everything is different. And this week, we're looking at the second half of Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. So let's, let's dive into our text today and see what we have. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, remember, and he continues in this letter to the people that he loves. He says this, Ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. The word love he uses here is this agape. That's the big love. Paul has heard that the church there in Ephesus has been loving God and loving people with, with unconditional love. And it struck him so deeply that, that he just couldn't stop thanking God for them. He's writing to a church that took love God and love people seriously. And it, it changed their hometown. It changed how they lived. Paul comments on their love being for all of God's people. And this, this is interesting because the church of Ephesus, they, they've become known for their love for each other. D despite their differences and past experiences, they, they come together and they worship and meet. And agape love, unconditional love, is the hallmark of their church. I mean, they don't let their opinions on cultural matters get in the way. They don't let their political differences get in the way. They don't let their frustrations with circumstances get in their way. They continue to love one another above all those differences. And Paul continues this prayer in this, in this next part. It's important for us to see his prayer, but not for the reasons we think on the surface. He says, I keep asking that God, the, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. I want to pause here because Paul prays in a way that we often don't pray. It doesn't have to do with the words he uses. It has to do with the request that he has. Remember, the church of Ephesus, they're, they're facing trying times. There, there were difficulties because of the, the culture around them was not friendly to the, the morality that they were asked to believe and behave in. There were pressures, social, political, cultural, and financial. This was a church facing uncertainty in the days, weeks, and months, and years to come. And this sounds a lot like us, if we're honest. I mean, we're called to believe and live, live based on a heavenly morality that our culture thinks is antiquated. We're facing financial pressures. We now face social, political, and, and cultural turmoil. And aren't we facing uncertainty in our days, our months, and even our years ahead? I mean, we're in this boat with the church of Ephesus. And here's the truth. 
Whenever we're in that boat, how do we often put, how do we often pray? Well, most often we pray, God, come get me out of it. God, save me. God, God, change my circumstances. We pray the, the God, get me out of this kind of prayer. Our prayer times, our prayer journals, our prayer meetings are more likely full of, of prayers for God to change things like outside of us because they're creating pressures and stress inside of us. But there's something unique about Paul's prayer in most all of his writings. You see, when, when he's in hardship or he's writing to others who are in hardship, he doesn't pray like we do. We don't find him praying that all the things out there would be changed so that there would be less pressure and less stress and less uncertainty in his life. We don't see him praying that way. Paul most often prays, no matter how hard it is on the outside, that God would internally resource and strengthen him to withstand the hardships. Paul doesn't pray, get me out of this hell. He prays, God, get more of heaven in me. He doesn't pray, rescue me. He prays, resource me. He doesn't pray, change my conditions. He prays, strengthen my core. And this is the glory of, of Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus, and even himself, that, that whatever is going on out there, God, would you resource me in here? Paul doesn't pray that God would decrease the pressure. Paul prays that God would increase their power. And that's something to, to stop and think about. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. These are the words of someone who, who has deep spiritual strength to withstand any pressure from outside. He says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but, but we're not demoralized. We have a lost heart. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God has not left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. And then he finishes like this. Despite all the pressure, there's no way we're giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are just falling apart on us. On the inside, God is making new life. Orchard, the application here is clear but it's not easy. Can we pray for God to, to come and rescue us and change our circumstances and save us? Can we pray that way? Well, yes, of course. God, 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 come help me. But our prayer life and prayer journals shouldn't be filled with, with just come rescue me prayers. The greatest thing you could begin to pray is that despite the pressure you face, God strengthened me to withstand the hardship. God, build up my heart and mind and my soul and my strength so that I can bear whatever would come my way. And God, yes, help me in my circumstances, but build me and strengthen me in my spirit. Uh, Paul prays that may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. That's what he prays for them, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they can know God better. And knowing God better, that, that's kind of the whole point to know God better, to love God greater, and to be more like Jesus. Well, that's what we're called to. He prays that we would have wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom, this, this supreme intelligence from God, and, and revelation, revealing things that were previously unknown, like, like fresh truth from heaven. And he says that he wants us to know God better, increased understanding, and a closer relationship. 
You see, there's many words for knowledge used in the Greek, but, but here it uses this word epigenosis. This is not phone book kind of knowledge. Epigenosis is experiential knowledge, meaning it's knowledge you have to experience. It's knowledge you gain through experience, through, through firsthand relationship. Paul's praying that you would come to know God through experiencing him more and more. And this is a common prayer for Paul because this is a central truth in the Bible. If we're going to withstand the pressure, we need to know God better. Listen to him in Colossians, in a few other letters. Colossians 1 verse 10. I pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, growing in your knowledge, epigenosis, of God. Philippians 1 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Growing in your knowledge is important. But, but it's not so that you can just like win Bible trivia. Again, it's not phone book knowledge. It's not just knowing facts. When you expand your knowledge on a topic, you have more facts, but, but God isn't a fact to be interfaced with. God wasn't you, doesn't want you to just know the facts. God wants you to know his heart. God desire, desires a greater relationship, and knowledge is important to relationships. This, here's the reason why. Because when you increase your knowledge, it can lead to increased love. We have this dance between knowledge and love that as our love increases, we know him better. And as we know him better, we love him more. Reminds me that, you know, Amy and I, when we, our first date, we met here in Carbondale at a coffee shop called The Bonfire. And we spent, we met in the afternoon and we, we closed down three different um, restaurants. Uh, bonfire closed. So we went to another one. That closed. We went to another. We, we just, we were learning all about each other. You remember those days. Do you remember when your relationship was like fresh? And, and, and you would remember how every facet of your beloved was just a revelation. You'd stay up on the phone for hours just, just learning more about that person. You'd, you'd drive all night just, just to see them for the weekend. Every new discovery was a thrill. And see, when you learn something new about your beloved, your love for them has an opportunity to grow. As knowledge and love increase, well, well, that's intimacy. God wants you to remember that he's not a topic. He's not an idea to be interfaced with. And the Bible isn't a text just for gathering facts. God wants greater intimacy with you. He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants you to learn new insights about him from his word, not to just know it, but so you can love him more. Experiential knowledge is important in any relationship if it's going to continue to grow. And that's why Paul prays this continually for many different churches. Getting to know God better is vital to your spiritual life. But again, it's a dance. Knowledge isn't leading. Love leads the dance. And a growing and thriving relationship between you and God is led by love and marked by increasing revelation and knowledge. This is why it's important to, to be reading God's word and, and seeking to know him better so that we can love him better. Paul's just getting warmed up, though. He continues this prayer. He prays, or he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And I, and I love this word picture, the eyes of your heart. He didn't, we've heard about our mind's eye, but, but he prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And this is a far greater enlightenment because, than just your mind because you experience this at the deepest core of who you are. 
Now, what does Paul want the eyes of our heart enlightened to? He says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you're called to. That you may know the hope. Hope is a confident expectation of something good yet to come. And Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, wants our hearts enlightened to the good that God has in store for us. Hope is one of the most valuable quantities on the planet. I mean, look at the opposite. Hopelessness is the result of crushing external pressure, imploding a weakened internal strength. And Paul wants our hearts enlightened, awakened to this hope. The hope, what kind of hope? It says the hope that God called you to. Like you're called to hope. You're called to have a confident expectation that that God has more for you, more goodness ahead of you. But wait, there's more. Paul wants us to know God better, to have a confident expectation of good things in our future because of one last thing. And this last thing, this is like the big thing. If we can get our hearts and minds around this, everything changes for us. He says, I pray that you may know the hope to which God calls you and his incredible great power for us who believe. This is amazing. Part of the hope we have is this, is this power for us and in us for those of us who, who believe in Jesus. Heaven is our inheritance someday. The offer of the past is for today, or is for the past and present and our future. Put them together and we have this picture, forgiveness of the past, power in the present, and hope for the future. Paul says this power is incredible and great. He pairs these two words together and doubles down. The word he uses for great here is actually a word, megathos. This is the only time in the Bible that this word is used. And, and Paul's trying to paint a picture of God's divine power using human words. And so he's, he's having to put them on top of each other and use these other words. This power that is for us and in us is incredible. It's surpassing. It's exceeding. It's transcending. But what is this power? It says his incredible, his incredible great power for us who believe. This power, the, the salvation that you receive in Jesus doesn't come empty-handed. It's, it's not just like a merit badge, like, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. There is power of transcendent magnitude that is yours in Christ. The work of God in you and for you is incredible power. It's divine power. And, and listen to, the, to a few of the verses that, that speak about this, as Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.5. The gospel, that's the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus came to you not with simply with words, but with power. 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, <laughs> he gives us power. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, if that wasn't enough, we're about to find out the measure and true greatness of this power that is like for us and in us. So Paul continues. He says that power, like, like that power I was just talking about, that power um, that is incredible, that is in us and for us, that power is the same as the mighty power that, and this is, this is incredible, the power God has for you and in you is identical as the same mighty strength that. Now, how would you finish that? Here's the question. The power that is at work in you and for you, 
what's it identical to? What's it the same as? Can you guess the the power that, that you have because of Jesus? Well, buckle up. He says this, his incredibly great power for us who believe is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Like that power, that tomb, that resurrection Sunday, that power that raised Jesus from the grave, that power, that power's for you. That power of, of God's spirit, that power's in you. What are you facing today that you feel is insurmountable? Like what are you struggling with right now? Where has the pressure of life crushed your hope? Where has the stress just drained your passion? What circumstances right now in your life are you begging to get out of? What hope is dead in your heart? What, what, what do you need resurrected today? What do you need restored and redeemed? Because the power that rose Christ from the grave, that power's for you. And that power is in you. And you may have places in your life where your dreams and your hopes your innocence is dead. You may have been so let down through this year that your buoyant joy had sunk. Your passion is running on empty. Your finances, your career, your future, the, the uncertainty is suffocating. Your relationship through this season may have been struck to the core. You may have given up on God actually doing the impossible in your life. 2020 has taken such a toll that, that you may have had a funeral for your peace of mind. You've placed your hopes in the grave. But God is in the resurrection business. God has some experience in, in grave robbing from the enemy and returning it to life. And what you thought was dead, the same strength that allowed Jesus Christ to walk out of that grave after torture and crucifixion and three days of burial, that power is in you. That power is for you. And perhaps instead of asking God for, for small things out of a small hope, we begin to ask for big things. Instead of begging for the universe to, to change course and, and become easier for me, instead of just hoping that the pressure around me decreases, Maybe it's time that our innermost spirit become awakened to the reality that there's a power in us and for us greater than anything the world can throw at us. That, that those who are in Christ have the spirit of the living God within them. And, and God's in the resurrection business. It's time we start pr playing it's time we start praying along with Paul. Instead of God, get me out. We pray, God, I can lighten my heart. Let me know the incredible and great power that you have worked in me and through me. Fill me with the strength to, to face this current crisis. Fill me with the power to, to stand in the, the face of frustration. Fill me with the grit not to cave in to my frustration or my anger with other people. Fill me with confidence that, that you have good things ahead for me. Fill me with the hope that, that what I thought was dead in my life, like you can resurrect it. Fill me with the, the mighty power to remain secure and unrattled when the pressures of life and death and disease and or bankruptcy and brokenness, addiction, fear, depression, and pandemic 
when they threaten me, may that power give me peace. Because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave, yeah, that power, that's in me. The same power that, that rose Jesus from the dead, yeah, that power, that's for me in Christ. God, may I begin to awaken to this reality. And may you begin to awaken to this reality. Paul says it again in Romans 8, 11. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He continues back in Ephesians. He says, that same power that raised Christ up and seated him in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority, all power and all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come, Jesus is far above. He's seated on the, the highest of high. And right here, Paul puts a, a bunch of absolutes that Jesus is higher than all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name. Five absolutes right there. And I love this part about every name that's invoked. This means that any prayer, any call to a, an idol, to another God, a, a saint, a prophet, a force, karma, a meditation, a star, a constellation, any other thing that we would invoke or call out to, the power and name of Jesus towers over it. And not just a little bit higher, but like, like far above, the highest of highs. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything in the church. Paul's making a case here. God placed Jesus so high above, and there's two more absolutes in this list. Christ is above all things, and he's the head over everything in the church. Christ is appointed head over, over everything for us. The church should be submitted to Jesus. I mean, if not, the, the church is off mission. If a church is off mission, is it actually even a church? We're not here to have a political agenda because we have a heavenly agenda. We're not here to be sidetracked by any issue, even if it's good, even if it's great, because our Savior is so much higher above. His mission is so much higher. We're here to, to point people to Him. We're here to love God and love people. That's, who, that's not just our t-shirt. That, that's, that should be written on our hearts. This is our value statement. One of ours here at the Orchard that says we want to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's Jesus. He's the main thing. And so Jesus, right now, we just declare once again at the orchard, you are our head. You're, you're above all things. Paul continues, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and is made full and complete by Christ, who fills everywhere, who fills, things, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So it says we are his body. Like we're the hands, we're the, we're the feet, bringing Jesus and good news to the world. But a body isn't made up of, of just all hands or all elbows. The body is a, com is a um, co collection of completely unique parts that come together and accomplish what they could never do on their own. This is why everyone is accepted here at the orchard, because everyone has value to God. And with that, we come to the end of this. No, we're, we all have value. We say there's room for everyone here at the orchard. And we say, love God, love people, no asterisks, because there's no one excluded from that. And that's how Paul finishes this first chapter of Ephesians. But there's one part in here that I'm just still continually trying to wrap my head and heart around. Because I know the, the deeper this sinks into my spiritual DNA, the more I am different, the more I'm infused, the more I'm changed and transformed. It's this one. I pray that you, I pray that you, will understand the incredible greatness 
of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Orchard, what needs resurrecting in your life today? Where is it you need to increase the strength within you to withstand what's been crushing you from the outside? If you've come to know Jesus, if you're in Jesus, then you have available a power that transcends pandemic, that transcends anything the world would throw at you. And God wants to resource you with it so that you can overcome, that you can thrive, so that you can have unshakable peace. And remember that you are called to hope. You're called to have hope. Hope that God still has good things ahead for you. Not just someday in heaven, but like later today, tomorrow. Hope that God is, is working good for you and into your life. And this, this, is, this is not small. We, we need increased power right now in our lives. We need increased peace. We need more God. With all that's going on and all the fear on one side and all the frustrations on the other, I would say that now is the time that we need God to strengthen us in our core, to withstand this pressure, this stress, the uncertainty. And so if that's you, let's just pray together right now. I want you to put your hand over your heart and pray out loud with me. Pray this. Just take a deep breath in. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Fill me with your divine power. God, I want to know you better. Reveal yourself to me this week. Jesus, the power that raised you, infuse me with that. Strengthen me. In Jesus' name, amen. And this week you have, you have two assignments. The first one is to read Ephesians 2. I, I would say read it daily. Just one chapter, Ephesians 2. Read it every day this week. Pick a different translation for every day. Go through, find what you, find nuggets out of it. Write down questions from it. We'll be discussing some of this on our, some of our platforms, but, but get into Ephesians 2 because that's where we're headed. And also this week, don't just pray, God, get me out. Begin to pray, God, get strength in me. Pray that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you could see the hope and the power that you're called to. Don't just pray for things outside of you to change. This week, pray that things within you would transform. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear how the orchard has been a part of your life through this season. Um, so please email us or connect with us at connect at theorchardlife.com. Also, if you want uh, any information on who we are as a church to join or to give to us, we appreciate those of you who continue to generously fuel our vision. And you can find us at theorchardlife.com. As always, I love you. And I'm praying for you this week that the mighty power of Jesus wouldn't be just some idea that we think of, but it would be something that is tangible and real in our lives. Love God. Love you.